Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Colleen Murphy, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Today, we'll be hearing from Dr. Chanaz Kermani, an Associate Clinical Professor in the Division of Rheumatology at the University of California, Los Angeles, where she's also the Director of the UCLA Multidisciplinary Vasculitis Program. A little while ago, Dr. Kermani did another podcast with us about the complications and manifestations associated with large vessel vasculitis. You can listen to that at the link below. That podcast was so well received, and we heard from you, our audience, that you wanted to hear more about vasculitis, that we invited Dr. Kermani back, this time to talk about the next big group in vasculitis, ENCA-associated vasculitis. So, Dr. Kermani? Thank you for sharing your insight with us again. You can take it away from here. Hello, my name is Tanaz Kermani. Our topic today is ANCA-associated vasculitis. This encompasses a group of vasculitis characterized by necrotizing inflammation of predominantly small blood vessels and also positive ANCA tests. These are posse-immune, so there's scanned or no immune complex deposition on biopsies, especially the kidney biopsy. The three forms, GPA, MPA, and EGPA, have similarities, but there are also distinguishing features. They can all cause severe manifestations like alveolar hemorrhage, rapidly progressive glomerulonephritis, cardiac involvement, gastrointestinal manifestations like bowel ischemia, infarction, neurologic manifestations like mononeuritis multiplex, cranial neuropathies. However, GPA and EGPA have upper airway manifestations and granulomatous inflammation, which is absent in MPA. EGPA also has features of asthma, nasal polyposis, peripheral or tissue eosinophilia, which are typically absent in GPA. Cardiac manifestations are of particular concern in EGPA, and patients with this diagnosis should be evaluated for this. More recently, we're recognizing that MPA can cause interstitial lung disease with fibrosis and honeycombing. There are a subset of patients who can also have isolated renal-limited vasculitis with no other systemic manifestations of ANCA vasculitis. While in clinical trials, we study GPA and MPA together, a GWAS study found that they are distinct genetically. What was interesting was that the strongest genetic association was with the ANCA specificity, so either the MPO or the PR3, not the clinical diagnosis of GPA or MPA. Regarding ANCA testing, a recent study evaluated eight different commercially available ELISA assays for MPO and PR3. The important thing is this was tested in 251 untreated patients with GPA and MPA and also 924 controls. They found overall accuracy of these ELISA assays is over 90%. The ANCA type does differ between the forms of ANCA vasculitis. Most patients with GPA have a positive PR3. Patients with MPA have MPO ANCA. For eGPA, only about 30 to 60% of patients are ANCA positive, depending on the series, and this is typically MPO. Patients with renal-limited vasculitis may be ANCA negative, but the subset who are ANCA positive typically have an MPO. 
What is important to remember is other conditions, including infections, can also cause false positive ANCA. Transitioning over to treatment, where we will spend most of the podcast, as we know, the treatment of ANCA vasculitis is in two phases, the induction of remission followed by maintenance of remission. We will first discuss induction therapy for GPA and MPA. The options include rituximab, which is now FDA approved for these diagnoses, cyclophosphamide, and in patients with GPA who have limited manifestations, methotrexate may also be considered. A common question is when to use rituximab or cyclophosphamide. In the RAVE study, which evaluated rituximab versus cyclophosphamide and azathioprine in patients with new and relapsing disease, rituximab was not inferior to cyclophosphamide for induction of remission. There were important exclusions to consider. Patients with severe alveolar hemorrhage requiring mechanical ventilation and those with creatinine greater than 4 mg per dl were excluded from this trial. Rituxvas was a clinical trial that evaluated rituximab versus cyclophosphamide and azathioprine in patients with GPA and MPA with renal manifestations. However, in this study, patients in the rituximab arm did receive two pulse doses of cyclophosphamide on weeks one and three. This study also showed non-inferiority of rituximab to cyclophosphamide and azathioprine combination. We have retrospective data looking at rituximab in patients with severe manifestations from ankylvasculitis, which do show efficacy, but those should be interpreted with caution. While in most cases, induction therapy with rituximab is appropriate, there may still be a role for cyclophosphamide in severe cases. The decision on whether the patient should be treated with cyclophosphamide should be made in conjunction with other subspecialists and the patient I use several factors in the decision, including severity of the disease, organs affected, prior treatment, comorbidities, and also patient-specific factors. For example, if someone is young and wants to preserve fertility, cyclophosphamide may not be an appropriate choice. What about plasma exchange, which has been used in the acute management of severe manifestations of alveolar hemorrhage and rapidly progressive glomerulonephritis in patients with GPA and MPA? This has now been evaluated in a large randomized open-label trial called PEXIVAS. This trial included patients with severe manifestations of renal disease and alveolar hemorrhage. It found no overall benefit of plasma exchange on outcomes of end-stage renal disease and death. However, only 28% of the study population had diffuse alveolar hemorrhage, which was classified as severe in 8%. This clinical trial clearly shows plasma exchange is not indicated in the routine treatment of patients with ankylvasculitis and renal and pulmonary manifestations. However, there may still be a subset of patients who benefit from plasma exchange, and the decision should be individualized and based on the severity of the patient's condition and also their response to treatment. The same clinical trial also evaluated reduced glucocorticoid doses with a faster taper to standard glucocorticoid doses on the outcomes of death and end-stage renal disease. They found that reduced glucocorticoids were non-inferior to standard doses while also reducing their risk of infection. 
caveats are that all of the patients were treated with pulse steroids and also prednisone 5-MG daily was continued for 12 months. It is also important to note that 85% of patients in this trial were treated with cyclophosphamide for induction of remission, perhaps partly reflecting the geographic locations of the clinical trial, but also the severe manifestations in these patients who are included in this trial. What about eGPA? We have very few clinical trials to guide us. For induction therapy of patients with severe vasculitic manifestations, cyclophosphamide is recommended. We only have case reports and case series evaluating rituximab and eGPA. The largest case series of 41 patients found a steroid-sparing effect of rituximab, but only 6% in that study were able to completely stop steroids. There appeared to be a higher remission rate with rituximab in patients who are ANCA positive, about 80% versus 38% in patients who are ANCA negative. In patients with non-severe manifestations, especially those with asthma and upper airway manifestations, mepolizumab is now FDA approved and may be beneficial. In a randomized clinical trial of patients with relapsing or refractory eGPA despite other immunosuppressive therapy, but without any recent severe organ manifestations, patients were randomized to mepolizumab or placebo. The primary endpoint of remission on less than 4 milligrams of prednisone a day at weeks 36 and 48 was achieved in 32% in the treatment group and only 3% in the placebo group. Importantly, 47% in the treatment group and 81% in the placebo group never went into remission. However, it should be noted the study was evaluating a subset of patients with more refractory disease who had been on multiple other immunosuppressive therapy, and this may be part of the reason for the low numbers of patients who achieved remission. This is a more challenging ANCA vasculitis to treat, especially with respect to upper airway and asthma manifestations that frequently flare, and patients often need to stay on low doses of steroids or have difficulty coming off steroids. We finished induction of remission, so moving on to maintenance of remission, and again, starting with GPA and MPA. In patients treated with cyclophosphamide, azathioprine or methotrexate can be used. Methotrexate is not appropriate for people with renal dysfunction. A clinical trial comparing azathioprine to mycophenolate mofetil found more relapses in the group treated with mycophenolate mofetil, though this can be considered if needed. Rituximab at regular intervals has been evaluated for maintenance of remission. The main Ritson trial showed superiority of rituximab 500 mg IV every six months for 18 months to azathioprine for maintenance of remission in GPA and MPA. The results of another clinical trial called Ritazaram, which is uh, using a protocol with rituximab one gram every four months compared to azathioprine, is anticipated. For eGPA, azathioprine or methotrexate are used after induction with cyclophosphamide, especially in patients with severe vasculitic manifestations. The role of mepolizumab for maintenance of remission is unclear, but it would be reasonable adjunctive therapy in patients with refractory or relapsing upper airway disease, asthma manifestations. It can be added to azathioprine or methotrexate if needed. 
again, these patients often require low doses of steroids for maintenance, especially for symptoms like asthma. Regarding the timing of renal transplant, so patients with GPA and MPA with severe renal manifestations, renal damage from vasculitis, or just progression of chronic kidney disease uh, may progress to end-stage renal disease requiring dialysis. They may be eligible for a renal transplant. That decision regarding eligibility and timing is determined by the nephrologist and the renal transplant team. As with our other inflammatory conditions, it is important that the disease is well-controlled and quiescent prior to transplantation to minimize the risk of vasculitis recurrence in a transplanted kidney. The other issue is duration of therapy. ULAR and the European Renal Association guidelines recommend treatment for at least 24 months from induction of sustained remission. However, there may be clinical situations where we want to consider longer duration of remission maintenance therapy, for example, patients who have had historically relapsing disease or patients who have severe organ manifestations where a relapse would result in more organ damage or be potentially life-threatening. It is also important to take patient preferences into consideration, and this should be a joint decision. Personally, in someone who has been doing well for a while and is interested in trying to come off immunosuppressive therapy, my strategy is to gradually lower treatment rather than just discontinue medications. In the case of rituximab, this may be spacing out infusions to longer intervals. It is important to emphasize to our patients the importance of regular follow-up even when they are doing well, both to monitor their underlying condition but also complications of treatment. For example, manifestations like an isolated renal relapse may go undetected without regular laboratory evaluation. The American College of Rheumatology is currently working on guidelines for management of patients with ankylvasculitis, which should also provide helpful guidance. A team approach is important in the optimal care of patients with ankylvasculitis. While the rheumatologist is often the lead physician, a collaborative interdisciplinary approach is important in monitoring for complications of disease, recurrences, and also determining best treatment strategies. For example, nephrologists are important to manage renal vasculitis, chronic kidney disease related to damage from vasculitis, end-stage renal disease, and also making appropriate referrals for transplantation. Upper airway manifestations from GPA and EGPA, like sinusitis, tracheal stenosis, will frequently require additional treatment with ENT, in addition to immunosuppressive therapy, which often by itself would not be adequate. Some concluding thoughts regarding upcoming studies and unmet needs. While we have many good treatment options to help our patients, there are still challenges and unmet needs. This includes treatments to reduce relapses. It would be helpful to identify subsets of patients who are at higher risk of relapse and need longer duration of therapy. Evaluating disease activity can be challenging, for example, patients are immunocompromised and it can be difficult to distinguish relapse from complications of treatments like infections. In other patients, it can be difficult to distinguish whether worsening renal parameters are from progression of chronic kidney disease or another disease relapse which requires immunosuppressive therapy. 
monitoring for long-term complications from these treatments, including cyclophosphamide, is also important. We are working on strategies evaluating the judicious use of steroids and also alternatives to steroids. A phase three clinical trial has evaluated a medication called avacapan, which is a C5A receptor antagonist, as an alternative to steroids in patients with vasculitis, again, GPA-MPA, with promising results, and those should be upcoming. Patients with GPA and EGPA often have ongoing sinus and upper airway manifestations, as we discussed earlier, that can be challenging to treat. Abatacept is being studied as an alternative for patients with relapsing but non-severe GPA based on promising results of an open-label study which showed benefit. Role of rituximab and eGPA is being studied as well in prospective studies. As we discussed earlier, it is best for these patients to be managed in a multidisciplinary manner in conjunction with other specialists. Referrals to centers with expertise should be considered, especially in those with severe manifestations, in cases where there is uncertainty about disease activity or where disease appears refractory to therapy. And with that, we'll conclude the session on ankylvasculitis, and I thank you for your attention. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Kamani. Hope to have you back again soon.